This book is incredible. It's an incredible thing that we have access to these words, that we can read these words anytime that we want. Last week I talked about the Gutenberg Bible. It's now a $12 million Bible because it was the first book that was printed on the Gutenberg Press. And that book, that Bible was printed in Latin. Around that same time, there was a guy named uh, uh, John Wycliffe who was translating the Bible into English. It was an old style of English, and we couldn't even read it now, but it was an attempt to translate the Bible into a language that regular people can read. John Wycliffe, uh, he made the church so upset that 43 years after he died, the church exhumed his body, burned it, and tossed it into a river as punishment for what he did for trying to translate the Bible into a language that people could read. It's amazing. It's an incredible thing that we get to read these words in, 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 in a language that we can understand. And all of us here in this room, all of us watching online, we have a value for this book. And yet what's equally incredible is that we still don't read it. This series about the Bible is an opportunity for us to look at five different reasons that we tend not to read the Bible. Last week, I talked about the fact that, that sometimes inaccuracies within the Bible make some not want to read it. Uh, this morning, we are celebrating graduating seniors. I think a chunk of them are up in the skybox up there. Am I right? Am I, yeah. It's the crazy group up there that's, uh, that's, that we're celebrating with you. So glad that you're here. And, uh, and th- th- many of you, many graduating seniors are going to go to college and they're going to encounter a professor who is, who is very excited about trying to, to crush faith by making an, uh, uh, declarations about the inaccuracies of Scripture. They'll be very interested in doing that. This is a big deal because statistically, graduating seniors who go to church uh, of them, 70% no longer have anything to do with church after they graduate from college. It's a staggering statistic. It's, it's not 70% of college graduates. It's 70% of those who were involved with church when they entered college no longer being connected with, with church uh, at the end of college. It's a staggering deal because what happens is you just kind of, their mind starts to spin around, oh, wait a minute, the Bible is not what I thought or hoped that it, uh, that it could have been. So how about instead of our students being shocked about that or the rest of us being shocked about that when we learn inaccuracies, wouldn't it be great if our students in those moments just said to a professor, I know, I know there are a bunch of inaccuracies. It's crazy. That book is so weird, but I still love it, and I believe it is the Word of God. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be incredible? So... That's why we're tackling it here. Let's just talk about, you know, what's going on with the Bible. Today we're going to talk about, you know, sometimes the Bible is just plain old confusing. We may have a sincere desire to read the Bible, and then it can be so frustrating, so disappointing, perhaps even embarrassing that we're reading it and we don't understand what it is that we're reading. It just doesn't make sense. So today, we're going to tackle what happens when we're reading the Bible, and it's just confusing. We want to get after that one. I want to pray with you. And so, once again, would you stand, please? And I want to pray uh, with, uh, with you as you stand. 
Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you once again that we have access to these words. I thank you that you have allowed us to live in a time where we can read it directly and we, we don't have to be persecuted in this part of the world for being able to read it, God. I pray that you would uh, open it up for us today, God, that you would unleash something uh, in this journey in these next 25 minutes or so um, for, for your glory, that you would connect us with you through this gift that you've given us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Play, remain standing if you would, please. Remain standing. If you are new with us, a guest with us, please have a seat. Please have a seat. So glad you're here. Go ahead and have a seat. If you are, if you were not here last Sunday, for whatever reason, go ahead and have a seat. We're not evaluating who wasn't here. We're not, you know, capturing video camera of who wasn't here last Sunday. Go ahead and have a seat. For those of you who are standing, you were here last Sunday. If you did read the six chapters that I asked you to read last Sunday, go ahead and have a seat. God bless you. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, everybody just look around at the rest of the people who are standing. And this is not a place of judgment, just a place of truth. This is just truth here. Okay. Okay. I'm just playing with you. Just playing with you. Go ahead and have a seat. God bless you. For those of you who are standing at the last, please come back next Sunday. Please, please come back. Or just, but I did want to, you know, invite you to read six chapters last week. Hey, and I might even ask you to read something for next week, and we'll see how how much fun it's going to be next week. You know, okay. So last week I asked you to read uh, of the six chapters. Five of them were in the beginning of uh, the book of John. Over this series, I'm going to ask you to read the book of John. As you were reading John chapters one through five, if you read it. At what point did you encounter something that was a little bit confusing? I mean, how long did it take you in reading John chapters 1 through 5 to encounter something that was a little bit head-tilting, kind of made your eyebrows kind of wince a little bit? How long did it take you? John chapter 1, did did it happen in chapter 1 verse (laughs) 1? Right at the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What? <laughs> or maybe, maybe you got to verse 16 from chapter 1. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Yeah, okay. I mean, some of the, okay, then maybe, maybe, maybe you're more sophisticated. And you got to John chapter 5. And so there, John chapter 5, and it wasn't until then that you read verse 28, Jesus saying, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to life, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. I mean, there's a picture of a zombie apocalypse of of, of bodies rising up out of the grave. Do do you just read those verses and move on? Or or is that a section perhaps where you might get a little bit tripped up, might get a little bit confused? And this is in the book of John, one of the easier books in the Bible to read. Well, we're not talking about some of the more complex books in the Old Testament that are are trickier to read. We're talking about the book of John. The reason I chose the book of John is that it's one of the easier books to read. What happens with the more difficult books? How are we supposed to navigate that when we're reading Scripture and we get tripped up on it? How many of you can relate to my journey when I was younger and had an earnest desire to read Scripture. 
And I would start in the book of Genesis, because that's the beginning of the book. That's where you start. It says, in the beginning. That's where you start to read the Bible. And then how many of you can relate to me on this journey of, 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 of starting in the book of Genesis with the intent of reading through the whole Bible, and you don't get all the way to the end of the book of Revelation? Anybody? Anybody do that with me? Okay, okay. There's a few honest people here in the room. And it's happened multiple times I did that. Because you get Genesis, okay, that's pretty good. And you get Exodus, and uh, most of that's pretty good. And then you get Leviticus, and it just kind of it bogs down uh, a little bit. So what are we supposed to do with that journey? Here's my hope for today. In the next 25 minutes, my hope is, is that we can try to make the Bible just a little bit less confusing. Okay, this is a daunting task in this room, because here in this room, we have some people with theological degrees, and we also have some people who don't know if Philemon is a book in the Bible or a blood disease. I mean, we have a wide range of people here in this room, and so, so how can we make the Bible just a little bit less confusing? That's what we want to try to accomplish with the time that we have here. I have a recurring nightmare I haven't had it in quite some time, but a while ago I used to have it on a regular basis. And the nightmare is that I'm still in college or I'm at graduate school, and I discover three quarters into a semester that there's a class I forgot about, a class that I signed up for, paid for, and I never went to it. I just, I just forgot, never went to it, never went to one class, don't even know what room the class meets in. And it's three quarters into the, into the journey. And then I'm freaking out. What am I going to do? There's no way with all of the other stuff I have to do, all of the other classes that I have to work on, there's no way that I can catch up on a class that I've missed the majority of the journey on. So here I am near the end of the semester thinking I'm doing great and I'm going to fail. I can't drop the class yet. It's too deep into it. So now I'm going to have a failing grade on my transcript. And it's, this is just a recurring nightmare. What do I do about it? For some of us, the whole idea of reading the Bible can sometimes feel like that nightmare. That, that it's, just, it's just later in the game, and you just feel like, I can't catch up. And you think, you, 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 didn't, you didn't grow up hearing these stories. You didn't grow up with a, a, a Bible studies or camps or whatever where you learned all these stories as a kid, when, it was a whole, when your brain was softer and could learn this stuff easier. You didn't go to Bible college and learn theology. You didn't read three chapters a day to keep the pastor away throughout your spiritual journey or to keep the pastor from embarrassing you on a Sunday morning in front of having you stand in front of everybody else. You didn't have something like that. So here you are. Maybe your Bible reading journey is like my nightmare where you're saying, I can't catch up. I've got so much other stuff going on. I can't, I can't add this to my plate right now. There's no way. There's no way I can catch up. So it just feels like a, a futile journey. Let me just tell you, my hope today is that we wake up from that nightmare. My hope today is we wake up and realize that's just a nightmare. It is not real. And here's, here's how we want to tackle this. Here's the idea today. To tackle this idea, how to make the Bible a little bit less confusing, we're going to try to do it one book at a time, one chapter at a time, one word at a time. So let me start with one book at a time. The Bible is made up of 66 smaller books, and not all of those books are created equally. They were written at different time periods with different authors. Some books are only one page long, and they're still confusing. Other books, like Esther and Ruth 
and Jonah are are in the Old Testament, and they read like a modern story. They're super easy to read. They're incredible gems that we find in Scripture. But not all of those books are created equally. And so the idea is, can we tackle one book at a time? I do not recommend the Bible roulette plan of reading the Bible, where you say, I'm going to read the Bible today. See what happens. We jump in right here. If that's what you do and it works for you, great. I'm not gonna, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just confusing because you jump in, you don't know where you are or what's going on in the context. That's why I encourage you to read one book at a time. You read one book and you get, what's the general sense of what's going on here? Where does this fit in the overall story? Who's writing this book and why are they writing it? That's why, uh, you know, I, that's why I asked you to read the book of John. I encourage you to start with a book in the New Testament, which is the last quarter of the Bible. It's part of the story after Jesus enters into the story. The Old Testament is all in a, a, a setup for Jesus. The last quarter is what happens after Jesus entered the picture. And that's a great place to start. Start with one book. And what's great are summaries of books. To, to read, you can go online. All sorts of summaries are available. If you have a study Bible, there'll be a, little, a few paragraphs to kind of give you a summary of what's going on. They're very helpful to kind of get a big picture of what's going on. You read the book of John. What's unique about John? What makes John different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke? To kind of get an overall view of this book that you're engaging with. If you don't like to read, there is a, a website called BibleProject.com. And it's been around for a number of years, and it's, it, it, they provide little videos. They're about eight minutes long, and they provide an eight-minute animated video intro to every book in the Bible, plus a number of other things that they offer there. It's incredible. And it's not like kids' animated video. It is very elegant, and it's just incredibly well done. Bibleproject.com. The idea is that we, we read and embrace a summary, a synopsis of a book, with the hope of perhaps even writing your own summary of the book. It's one thing to read someone else's summary and go, yep, okay, yep, yep, okay. It is a whole other level to write your own. And you can do it. If I asked you right now to write a four-sentence summary of your favorite movie or your favorite novel, you could do it in a heartbeat. You could do it right now. Without even thinking about it, you could write it all out. Why not do that about a book in the Bible? Wouldn't it be amazing after, after a few years of following Jesus and studying Scripture that you have your own collection of all 66 books summarized in your own words because you've in, engaged with each of these books? Wouldn't that be awesome? To tackle Scripture one book at a time. And then we move on to one chapter at a time. One overall book, and then sometimes we focus on one chapter then to get a greater understanding of that chapter. In preparation for this Sunday, I asked if you would consider reading John 1 through 5 as well as Luke chapter 14. I chose Luke 14 because it is, because it is historically a very confusing chapter. So here, here's the section of Luke chapter 14 that tends to trip people up is uh, uh, beginning there in verse 25. Luke writes, large crowds were gathering with Jesus and turning to them, he said, Jesus says this, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Those three verses are difficult to get through on our own. Those three, you can read them over and over and over again, and it's not going to be an easy, natural pathway for us just to go, oh, yeah, totally, totally get that. So what do we do when we counter a chapter that is just plain confusing to us? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to break through that? Here's a little secret. Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry was a guy 300 years ago who started writing notes about every chapter in the Bible. Every chapter in the Bible. And uh, so he now has what's called a commentary or a a comment on the whole Bible. And the whole thing is captured. It's free. It's royalty-free because it's 300 years old. And so you can access this anytime. Just look up Matthew Henry and you can find all of this stuff. And just look at this guy. How how could a guy who looks like that not make the Bible fun? I mean... (laughs) Doesn't he just have fun oozing out of the curls of his, of his hair there? So there's something about what this guy wrote that connects with me. So I'm just telling you what my pathway has been is I just have really grown to appreciate Matthew Henry. What he does is he's written this stuff out, and he doesn't go on long tangents like a lot of commentators will say, well, this reminds me of a story of blah, 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 blah. And then all this happened, but I don't want to hear all that stuff. And he doesn't say, here's what the verse means. Here's exactly what it means, and any other interpretation is wrong. What he just says, here's a number of different ways to see this or, or you know, ways to kind of get enlightened in terms of what this chapter is all about. And it, it just stirs up my imagination. It stirs up my mind and allows me to see things I cannot see on my own. Matthew Henry's not always right, but there's something about his writing that connects with me. So, for example, Luke chapter 14. Let me just tell you, I didn't pick Luke chapter 14 because I knew what Matthew Henry was going to say about it. I just, I picked Luke chapter 14 because I knew it was confusing. And then this week, I went in to see what Matthew Henry had to say about Luke chapter 14. Here's a couple things he said. He is in these verses directing the discourse to the multitudes that crowded after him, Jesus, and seems zealous in following him, and his exhortation to them is to understand the terms of discipleship before they undertook the profession of it and to consider what they did. What he's saying there is that Jesus is talking to those who want to follow him, and he wants to be clear as he's saying these words, these confusing words in Luke chapter 14, that Jesus is saying, I just want you to know what you're signing up for. I don't want to do a bait and switch. I don't want to lure you in and then tell you later what's going on. I want to tell you right off the bat, this is not going to be an easy journey to follow me. Matthew Henry continues to say, those that undertake to follow Christ must count upon the worst and prepare accordingly. He tells them what the worst is that they must count upon. Imagine the the worst possible thing that could happen because you're choosing to follow Jesus. That must be what you're willing to do because you're following Jesus. So even if the people in your life that you love the most, you have to actually separate from them because of your choice to follow Jesus, are you willing to do that? He, he goes on. One more, one more thing. They must be willing to quit that which was very dear and therefore must come to him thoroughly weaned from all their creature comforts and dead to them so as cheerfully to part with them rather than quit their interest in Christ. 300 years ago, and it's the exact same thing today. What creature comforts 
are we hanging on to that are getting in the way of our relationship with Jesus? What creature comforts are we willing to say, you know what, as much as I want to cling to this, I want to, I'm, I'm willing to set that aside in order to follow Jesus. Now, Matthew Henry might not be your deal. And again, he's not always right. There are lots of commentaries out there, tons of commentaries out there, many of which are free, some of which are extremely expensive. But the idea is that there is a pathway when you get stuck. There is a pathway, one chapter at a time, to break this down, to have, to have somebody else feed into this journey to help us understand this, this deal. Sometimes when we get stuck... We go one book at a time. We go one chapter at a time. And then there are times where we go one word at a time. We dig in down to one word at a time. If you are reading the Bible and you are reading three chapters a day to keep the pastor away, or you are reading just to get an overview of a book, you don't want to stop on every word. It'll just bog you down. It'll get frustrating. It'll slow you down. And so if you're just trying to get an overall view, keep going, keep going. Sometimes we read something. It doesn't quite make sense. It's okay. Just keep reading. Keep this thing moving sometimes. But there are times when we read and a word just stops us in our tracks. And we think, I can't get past that word. So in Luke chapter 14, I want to put it back up on the screen here. What word in these words of Jesus jumps out at you? I, uh, right, when I, when I read the words of Jesus, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, even in light of what Matthew Henry wrote about this, why would Jesus use the word hate? It just, it just does not compute God is love. How could Jesus call us to hate anyone, let alone mother and father? How, how is that even possible? Whatever, whatever happened to love your enemies? How, how does this work? It just does not compute. So you can go to the internet and look up what did Jesus mean by hate here in this verse. You'll find lots of articles, lots of sermons, lots of ideas, etc. But the best thing you can do the, the most trusted thing that you can do is go to the original source. It's to find out what word was used in the original documents. Because as I said last week, there's always a translation issue as we go from the original documents to what we have in front of us. So what was the original word? The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was primarily written in Greek originally. So what was the Greek word? Some people think that pastors speak Greek around the dinner table at home sometimes just for fun. That we tell Greek jokes and read and eat gyros and, and, <laughs> and we talk Greek. And so that's what allows us on a Sunday to say, in the original Greek, da, 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 da. No, if I ever say, and I don't do it very often, but if I ever say in the original Greek, it just means I looked it up. In the same way that you can look it up. Okay, so here's, here's a little uh, secret here. I feel like I'm, I'm divulging secrets. I feel like I'm, today I'm like a, like a magician who's telling you how the trick works. You know, it's right in here. You know, like I'm doing this. It's like, you know, I feel like the, the, the Pastors Guild of Arizona is going to be on top of me. You know, I'm going to get in trouble with this organization that, that doesn't exist. So you, can, so you can go to the original word yourself. 
you, there's many different places. The place I go is a place called BibleHub.com. BibleHub.com. It's the easiest, simplest way to do it. You just type in the verse you're looking at, Luke chapter 14, verse 26, and it shows you all of the English words that are there. You click on any of them, and it will take you to the original Greek word. Here is a screenshot of when I just went to that verse and clicked on it. It shows me the word. There's a, there's a, a, the way that the words in the Bible are distributed, each one has a number. And so then here's a number, and when that number is used throughout the Bible, this word is Maseo, and it's number 3404. That's the number for this word. It means to hate. And so if you look at the bottom, I'm going to highlight it here. This word, the definition of it is that it is a comparative basis. This word is used as a comparative, to love someone or something less than something else. In other words, the word hate doesn't mean what we think it's going to mean, the way we use the word hate. Hate for us means, I want to crush you, destroy you. But this word originally simply meant, I, I love this other thing so much. It's a comparative issue. I love Jesus so much that everything else has to go comparatively underneath Jesus, which to me is consistent with what Matthew Henry was saying about this journey. If you want to follow Christ, everything else has to go underneath it. It doesn't mean we hate mother and father the way we understand the word hate. It just means we elevate Jesus above all things. Now, my point today is not to say the Bible isn't confusing. I know there's a lot of negatives. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not here to say, oh, no, no, the Bible isn't confusing. You just have to do this, this, and this, and then you'll be fine. It is confusing. It is absolutely confusing, and it is a difficult journey to, to wrestle through it at times and to keep going on it. What I'm saying is that when it is confusing, there are pathways out that we can tackle this incredible gift that we have one book at a time, one chapter at a time, one word at a time. Now, before I let you go, I have one more thing to add here. If it's true that understanding the Bible is kind of like my nightmare, my recurring nightmare, that it just feels like there's no way I can catch up. There's no way I can. I have so many other things to do. There's no way I can catch up on this deal. I, I just can't, I can't get it. It's just always going to be confusing to me. If we believe that that's kind of what this deal is, let me just assure you, folks, there is no final exam. There is no passing grade. There will be no distribution of anyone to say, here are the A's, here are the B's, and here are the C's in terms of understanding Scripture. That's not what this journey is all about. In fact, in John chapter 5, which is what I invited you to read, near the end of that whole section, Jesus says this, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is saying, if you want the joy and the purpose and the power and the freedom of following Jesus, you don't get it by digging into the original languages of every word in scripture. That's not how it happens. 
And Jesus was, was addressing this to a group of Jewish people who were very much caught up in that. At this time, there had been generations and generations of Jewish rabbis who, in an effort to help people understand scriptures, added laws and traditions in so many different formats in, in, in a, a collection of writings referred to as the Talmud that became as important as scripture, as scripture itself. And Jesus said, no, it's not about pursuing an understanding of scripture. You just need to come to me. And when we do that, Scripture lights the way for us to understand how do we come to Jesus? What did Jesus say? How are we supposed to live our lives? Scripture is the way for us to understand what it means to come to him. And if we get confused in that journey, if we get confused, what is it, how is this supposed to fit with what was said elsewhere? There's a pathway out, one book at a time, one chapter at a time, one word at a time. We can wake up from the nightmare. There's no final exam on this. It's just an invitation to come to Jesus. So my hope today is that there's a pathway for us to be just a little bit less confused about Scripture. My hope is that you're not more confused based on what I just said. That you'll understand there is a way out. Next week, I want to talk about how sometimes reading scripture can, can be boring. That we read it and we go, yeah, I understand it. I understand the he begat, he begat, he begat. I understand what's happening here. I'm just bored. Now, this is probably not an issue for you. It's more like a 9 a.m. service kind of thing. But I still invite you to come and we'll see what happens next week. So as we address how, what happens when we're reading the Bible and it comes across as boring. And there will be something I'd like you to read for next week. John chapter 6 through 10, we're going to continue in the book of John, and Psalm 22 and 23. Please write it down, take a picture. Uh, 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 who knows? I might even check you on this again next week. <laughs> okay, so, so please come back, and we're going to continue this journey as we dig into this incredible gift that God has given us. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, I pray uh, that you would that you would light a pathway for us to come to Jesus. That, that, this, that this word would be a pathway for us, that we would not read it out of, out of obedience or not read it out of, out of um, that, that we simply have to or that we're told to or it's a requirement, but we would read it as a way to come to you, that we would understand that that's what it's for, that's its purpose, and if we ever get stuck that, that we, can just, we, can, we can just call upon you and say, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to get through this. Because the purpose of this is not for us to understand Scripture. It's for us to, uh, to connect with you. So God, if and when we get stuck and it's confusing, help us to plow through it one book at a time, one chapter, one word at a time, so that we can plow through and come to you, we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. So thankful you came. Once again, we're going to have a prayer team that's going to gather up front. He'd love to pray with you about anything. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.